Um, I'm going to start with a few testimonies tonight. First of all, I have to say, today, you know how some of those days God just uh, turns up the crank and he's just everywhere, everywhere you are, and there's this one-on-one, close, close, uh, amazing day with God? That's what my day's been like today. (laughs) So I'm believing for overflow in all of you guys. It's been from the moment I got up until... I was literally praying with somebody just now for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So, oh, hold on, because it's going to be good. It's going to be good. And the first thing I want to do is to share a few testimonies. Testimonies are powerful. They point us to the heart of the Father. They show us the goodness of the God and his good plan and his love for all of us. So I got a few testimonies from this week. The first one is, um, uh, if you were here Friday night, you already heard this. This is Pastor Brandt. He is um, our youth pastor here at um, Rochester Church. Uh, a week ago, a week and a half ago, Pastor Tim and I were blessed and honored to be able to, to share on a Sunday. And share, we shared a bunch of stuff about healing, and we got to pray for healing with lots of people. And Pastor Brandt, unbeknown to us, this young, powerfully strong, physically healthy, amazingly handsome young man, had an issue with his foot that we didn't know about. He had, uh, I believe, I uh, may be saying it wrong, but I think he had some kind of a wart, maybe a planner's wart. It was a viral thing. It was a virus thing. And he had had it for a long time. And it was, he'd gone to the doctor and they weren't able to, because it's virus, you can't just like burn it and have it be gone because you have to get rid of the virus in order for the whole thing to go away. And so he, it, it wasn't going away. It was getting worse. And it was so painful that he said he, it always hurt. It was on the ball of his foot, and it always hurt. And he had to, like, put his weight on the side of his foot all the time. That day, I was sharing my testimony, and I was sharing part of it about visualizing and imagining. We've talked about that in here. We can see with our heart what we can't yet see with our eyes. Faith is believing what you have not yet seen. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. And that just registered in Brant's heart. And he said, I need to envision myself whole. Well, it coincidentally, or God incidentally, or whatever, he'd been searching online for um, alternative kind of things. <laughs> and he found somewhere that a banana peel is supposed to help warts. So that day, at the healing meeting, he had a banana peel in his shoe on that wart. <laughs> Anyway, he's visualizing himself well. He's visualizing himself healed. Then Pastor Tim got up, and Pastor Tim started talking about, we need to be desperate. We need to be in a position where we are actively speaking in faith, where we're actively believing God. Sometimes we're too darn passive. We just sit back and say, well, God, if you can heal, you know, you're sovereign, you can heal. No, God has given us authority. He's done it all. He's done the work. And so Pastor Tim was talking about having an active faith and being desperate and not just sitting back, whatever will be, will be. So those two pieces, Brant applied. That night, the pain completely left. He had been in so much pain for so many months. He has had no pain since. Isn't that good? Yes. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you. The second testimony happened yesterday. Remember last week, if you were here, I shared about the woman that had, had dental work, and then she had intense pain in her tooth, 
after the dental work. I think it was a root canal. Sometimes I know I had a root canal once, and then I had a toothache for a long time. Well, this girl was um, supposed to go on a trip to Dubai, and she was ready to cancel her $2,000 ticket because she was in such intense pain. And I had prayed for her the day before the flight, and on the phone, the pain left, and it never came back. The same girl called me yesterday, and um, she explained what she was going through. She uh, had a lot of pain, a lot of pain in her right side, and she was nauseous all the time. She'd already been to a GI doctor, and they were scheduling her for a bunch of tests. And so um, this girl is just a receiver. She's just a receiver. I love to pray with her because it's like, okay, God, I have faith for this one. I always have faith, but sometimes there's just this extra, like, little, okay, this is just a done deal. So I spoke and I prayed with her over the phone. She was at work. She had to leave the office because it was an office with cubbies where you really don't have any privacy. She left the office, went outside as I was praying, and after a minute of prayer, I said, okay, how are you doing? And she stopped, and she was really, really quiet, and she said, The pain is gone. It is gone. It is gone. And then I started speaking over her to not look for that pain. Don't keep your eyes on that place of your body. Don't focus and say, okay, where is it? Is it coming back? Because that's what we tend to do in the natural. Get your eyes off the pain. Put your eyes on the healer. Put your eyes on Jesus. So that was yesterday. I'm hoping she'll be here tonight because she usually is here on Tuesdays. She usually comes a little bit late. So I'll ask her if if and when she walks in how she's doing today. So that was yesterday as well. The third one that I want to share happened on Sunday. Um, One of my good friends, in fact, I shared when I shared my testimony about the woman that led me to Jesus, Jenny, teacher. She was here Sunday. She was visiting. She lives in Kalkaska now, but she was visiting for the weekend, so she was here. And she had called me before Sunday to ask me to pray for her son, who's um, nine years old, because out of the blue, he started having very, very serious anxiety. So this little nine-year-old boy wasn't even able, literally, she couldn't get him to school. And this has happened since January. So January, February, like two months she hasn't been able to get him to school. And it's not, it's not just a parental thing. It is severe, severe anxiety this little boy was going through. So um, she had called me ahead of time and asked if we would pray. So Pastor Tim didn't realize what he was praying because he didn't, wasn't able, Sunday it's kind of loud, he wasn't able to hear, really didn't know. And I was praying with somebody else. So Pastor Tim... Mm. God set it up. (laughs) Pastor Tim started praying over him, and it was prophetic prayer because he was praying exactly what this little guy needed. And then after the prayer time, I was able to take him into a prayer room and spend some more time with this little guy. And that night, Jenny sent me a video testimony of this little boy telling us from his own heart what God did. So Kent's going to play that right now. His name is Gabe. Been feeling I was in the hospital when this little guy was born. I think you're pretty. Okay. He's got to get it. I hear his little voice. There he is. Being helped a lot. 
tell me the differences that you've been feeling today that you've been I telling me. I haven't been feeling very good, but today I feel great. Like, how do you feel great? Tell me what feels different, because you've been telling me all day, and I want to share it. I've been feeling like nothing's wrong. I've been feeling very good. And, um... Tell me about when you were in the car and you were singing If You're Happy and You Know It. In the car singing If You're Happy and You Know It, and I was really happy. And I asked you, Gabe, when's the last time you felt that happy? Before my, the anxiety started. That's right. And so today when God prayed for you, now, or when you were prayed and God took some things away, now how do you feel? I feel great. I feel like it's barely even there. How about your tummy? You were just telling me about your tummy. It feels amazing. <laughs> it feels amazing. Jenny, I haven't had a chance to talk to her yet. I need to pick up the phone and call her. But she said, Cindy, I have to tell you what happened. She said, it's just, just all God. So I'm not exactly sure of the whole story other than his version of it, little guy's version. But he definitely was, was touched by God. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, yes. Okay. So today, I believe, is going to be uh, just a powerful day. Like I said, God's already started. And I just think it's just, we're just going to see a uh, river. So I just pray right now, Father God, for that river, that river of your living spirit, that river of your love, that river of your power, that river of your grace, that flowing, that living water. I pray, Father, that the living waters just flowing through us, in and among us, around us, upon us, within us. And I pray, Father God, that there is just an enlightenment a truth that we receive deep into our hearts like that little boy did with childlike faith and receive what you have for us for this day, for this season, for this night. And Father, I pray, Mark sixteen twenty right now, you tell us in your word that believers are to go out and do what you did. You tell us to lay hands on the sick. You tell us to speak in new tongues. You tell us to cast out demons. You tell us to raise the dead. And then you say, you said to your apostles, go out and preach the word. And you promised them and you showed them that when they did, you confirmed the word with signs and wonders. So, Father, as I share what you've given me to share tonight, I thank you ahead of time that you confirm this word. You build it up and, and let it go through us, within us and upon us. And I believe today for bodies to be healed for bodies to be healed, for souls to be healed, for us to come into agreement with you and your promise and your word, to be promise-driven and not problem-conscious, and to stand strong in faith because you are so good. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen, amen, amen. And my husband needs this. There you go, babe. And let me... Get these, these um, handouts passed out. Mary Lou, could you do this for me? Thank you. So over the last couple months, um, I've been teaching um, uh, about our part in receiving. God's part is done. It's finished. He paid the price 2000 year, 2017 plus years ago when he died on the cross. His part's done. 
Our part is to believe in his finished work. So over the last couple months, I taught on this... I've never taught on this before, but it's almost like a progression of knowing God. So faith is believing in him, being persuaded that God is God and that his word is true. But the step after faith is trust. Trust is faith in action. Trust is not only believing, but it is depending on God. It's leaning on him. After trust comes hope. Hope is an expectation that this amazing God with his promise and his word that we trust in, that we expect his word to come to pass. There's, a, there's, a, there's an expectation. There's this anticipation, like a little kid that's anticipating going to Disney World. That's what hope in God's word is. It's an anticipation of an amazing work of God. I was just in there, like I said, I, they're, they're having fun. I'm having fun too. But somebody's in there right now receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was excited. That's called, that's the biblical word hope. The next step that I taught on the last time was action. James says, the book of James says that faith without works is dead. And that literally means it operates. It's effective. It's energized. Faith is energized. It's given power when we put in action to it. That's why many times when we pray for you, we ask you to take an action, like get up and walk. Or, you know, if your shoulder's hurting, try to move it. Try, give it a try. Take an act of faith. So I talked about that the last time. Faith, uh, the last several times. Faith, trust, hope, and action. Today, um, we're going to take a little different um, path. And what I'm going to share today and over the next few times that I share, Pastor Tim and I share every other week. So uh, it'll be a while before I get through all of these things I want to share. But what I'm going to be sharing are some po powerful truths. But each, with each of these truths that I'm teaching, we're going to look at two sides of it. So today we're going to look at belief because that's what we've been talking about. But we're also going to look at unbelief because they are opposites. Unbelief doesn't just mean a weak faith. A weak faith is still faith. A little faith, mustard seed faith, is still faith. And that's what we're going to talk about today. This teaching changed the way I look at things. This is based on an Andrew Womack book. It's, it, the book is kind of a, the name of it is kind of strange. It's called Hardness of Heart. But it has to do with where your focus is. I might teach on that someday. But today I'm teaching on belief and unbelief. So the title of this teaching is, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. How many of you have felt like that? <laughs> I know I have. Kind of like being, you know, it depends on where I'm at. It depends on who I'm around. It depends on the situation. It depends on, you know, if I've just gotten done praising God and declaring his word or if I'm at the doctor's office getting a bad report. You know, I feel sometimes like I've been in that place of, Lord, I believe, and then the next breath, I'm not feeling so much like I'm believing. So we're going to address that and show you what God's word says and how to walk on the side of believing, even if it's a little tiny bit, still believing. So we're going to start right now with uh, Matthew 17, verses 14 through 19. 
This is the account of the father whose little boy has the seizure disorder. And there's two parallel accounts. There's this one in Matthew, and then there's another one in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be going back and forth between those two accounts, between Matthew 17 and Mark chapter 9. So this is the beginning part. And Matthew 17, verses 14 through 19. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. So here's the the problem. The dad brings the little boy to the disciples. The disciples who are powerful, we're going to talk about that in a minute, believers who have seen signs and wonders through their hands, can't heal them. We've seen that happen. Where, you know, you've gone to the altar and maybe you haven't received. There's a powerful believing believer praying for you, but you haven't received. So the question is, why? Then Jesus answered them. And he said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, Why could we not cure him? So that's the question. The disciples had a really good question. Why, God? Now, here's what I want to pose. Those disciples believed. Those disciples believed it was God's will to heal. That's a big, important thing to believe. They did, though. They believed it was God's will to heal. And they knew that they had power and authority to heal and to cast out demons. They had already been given it. And I'm going to show you evidence of that. In Matthew chapter 10, which was seven chapters before this in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus summoned to him his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to cure all kinds of diseases and all kinds of weakness and infirmity. So that was in chapter 10. He gave them power and authority to do two things, cast out demons and cure diseases. That little boy with epilepsy needed both. It showed in that particular, in that particular instance that the, the seizures were caused by a demon because Jesus cast out a demon and then the kid was healed. So they had the power and authority. And then I'm going to show you two more scriptures, and these are from Luke chapter 9 and 10. This is, again, a parallel account that tells the same story of when the disciples were commissioned with power and authority. Listen to this. Math, or Luke 9, 6. And departing, they went about from village to village, preaching the gospel and restoring the afflicted to health everywhere. So they received the commission, and they went, and they healed. Now, this has to do with physical healing, curing the sick. But the next one, which is Luke 10, the next chapter, this is after the 12 came back, and then Jesus commissioned 70 disciples. Same, the same commission to heal and to cast out demons. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So there's evidence that they were commissioned. This is even before Jesus 
paid the price and died for us. They were commissioned. They went out, they healed the sick, and they cast out demons. So those same disciples who had asked Jesus, why can't we cast it out, had already believed, and they had successfully exercised their power and authority to cure the sick and heal the, and cast out demons. They had already done that. That's why they were confused. We've been there in that same place as the disciples saying, I believe God. So here's Jesus' answer. This is Matthew 17, verse 20. Right after the account, right after the disciple says, then Jesus, why can't we cast it out? Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Jesus didn't say, it's because you had a little bit of faith, just a little faith. That's not what Jesus said. He said it was because they had unbelief. Many times there's a misconception That if you believe, if you believe, I believe that God heals with all my heart. There's a misconception that if you're believing, that automatically means you don't have unbelief. But, according to the gospel, and I'm going to show it to you, you can believe and disbelieve at the same time. You can have belief and unbelief at the same time. So, I'm going to... Go now to the Mark account, Mark 9. Same story, different um, author of the gospel. Verse 17, then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered the father and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought the little boy to Jesus. And when the little boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And the father said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. So it says, if you can believe. And then the father cried out and said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now that sounds like the guy was schizophrenic or something. But no, that's not true. You can have belief and unbelief at the same time. What happened at the end of the story? Little boy got healed, right? So that little bit of belief was enough. That little bit of belief. So Jesus took over. And he used his faith and he used his power. There was nothing in Jesus' way. Jesus had the perfect um, relationship with nothing hindering him. So he said, okay, that's enough. That little bitty mustard seed, that's enough. And the little boy was healed. We're a different story. <laughs> and sometimes that unbelief and belief gets all messed up. So what I want to share with you right now is that I'm giving you a, a, my hypothesis, which is based on this teaching 
that faith or belief can be canceled out or negated through unbelief. So let me share this analogy with you. I'm gonna, this analogy is going to run through this whole teaching. Picture a, a wagon, a heavy wagon. We're talking old days, farm wagon. And on one side of the wagon, there's a strong team of horses hooked up to the wagon. And, of course, a strong team of horses can pull that wagon with no problem. Now picture that on the other end, there is another team of horses bridled to the wagon. There's a strong team of horses on one end. There's a strong team of horses on the opposite end. If both strong teams of horses pull that wagon, the net effect's going to be zero. They're going to be canceling one another out, even though they're both very strong. They cancel one another's out, out. They negate the progress of that wagon. And that is what happens with belief and unbelief. One can cancel the other one out or negate it. We're going to look at another scripture. This is James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. A very familiar scripture about belief and doubting. James 1, verses 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So that's, this is that being tossed back and forth, belief and unbelief. And, and the, the word says, you know, that's, that's, that's not a place to receive. Now, I'm not saying any of this. I'm not sharing any of this in any way to be condemning. I'm sharing it to give you truth that will set you free. Because there is a completely biblical, amazing way to walk in belief and not let unbelief hinder you. And that's why this is such a powerful, powerful teaching, such a powerful truth. So back to Matthew 17, 20. The disciples had just said, Jesus, why can't we cast it out? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. But then he goes on and he says, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Just a little bit of faith. So the, the, the bottom line is that we don't need to worry about the amount of our faith. We don't need big faith. We just need pure faith without unbelief that cancels it out or negates it or um, counterbalances it, like those two teams of horses. You only want one team of horses. You don't want two. You want one team. And even if your faith is really tiny, let's say you just have one little horse, <laughs> one little pony, not a team, it'll still move that wagon. It can still move that wagon as long as there's not anything on the other side counterbalancing it. Just a mustard seed of faith as long as it's pure. So the rest of this teaching is going to tell you how to get there according to God's word. So this issue of unbelief, got to talk about it for just a second so that you can recognize when the enemy's trying to get you to buy into it. The issue of unbelief comes in a very similar way to belief or faith. 
according to Romans 10, 17, faith comes through the word, by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. When we hear, when we focus our attention on God and his word, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we fix our eyes on the word, when we fix our heart on the word, faith comes. But unbelief comes when we fix our minds and our hearts on anything else. When we fix our mind on what isn't of God or his word, unbelief comes. Let me give you some examples. If you fix your eyes on the doctor's report, on the bad report, it builds unbelief. So picture right now your wagon. And let's say for, for, for hypothetically that you have a super strong faith. You know God's word. You know his truth. You know scripture. You know the faithfulness of God. You've got a great big team. But you go to that doctor and you focus on the doctor's report. You read it. You take it apart. You figure out what all those words mean. You put your attention, your focus on it. You're putting a horse on the other end of that wagon. Another example of um, a way to feed unbelief is other people's opinions. When you have a problem, oh, there's all kinds of opinions. And I think, at least this seems to happen to me, that I think it's a demonic thing that everybody in the woodwork that has lived through something like that knows me or finds me and they tell me everything they know or everything they did or everything that worked or didn't work or how it didn't work. And it's usually negative. I remember when I had the issue with my thyroid, which was in 2010, I was teaching healing classes. I can't tell you how many people came for the first time that I'd never met who had throat cancer, who had oral cancer, who had thyroid cancer, who had the, and I was, it was like, Ooh, quit bringing them here, God, because they were in my face. And it was really hard. It, was, it made it harder for me to keep my focus on the amazing grace of God when I was seeing all these people with the same issue that I was dealing with, talking about it. and, talk, and not, They didn't know what I was going through because I wasn't talking about it. But I, I was ministering to them, so I needed to, to listen. So other people's opinions and what to do or what not to do. You need to take this supplement. You don't need to take this supplement. You should do this. Oh, there's this awesome diet, or there's this or that, or the next thing. And all of those things put horses on that other end of the wagon. And it feeds and it fuels unbelief. Another thing that fuels unbelief is Internet and research. And this is something that we feel like we should do as intelligent people. When we do, you're putting a, a horse on that end of the wagon. And if you've experienced it, I know I have. When I look at the Internet, when I look at stuff like that, I get literally, uh, uh, I can feel fear. I can feel uh, negativity. Just build, 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 build. This week, um, I was preparing a teaching for last night where I was teaching on the occult. And I had a whole bunch of stuff I was sharing as far as just listing things that I wanted people to be aware of because it's all over in our world. And so 
I, I knew I didn't want too much information because I don't need to share too much information. But I wanted just a little bit to just verify that my lists were indeed a cult. So I went online, and I don't usually do this, but I went online for each one, and I just did one quick peek at what that thing was in the world of the occult. And what happened to me? I, I felt this darkness, this oppression, this... and. I have, I'm not dealing with anything like that, but I was teaching it. So I was trying to do my part to prepare and something happened in me. And I had to I finally said, I don't need to do that. I'm not going to do any more of that. I turned the stupid computer off and I said, no, because what was happening was instead of me putting my focus on Jesus, my focus was on the devil, you know, and all of his junk, even though I needed to have some information because of my my topic. But that's what research does. When I was diagnosed with melanoma, I went on the internet once. That was the worst day of the whole awesome, all sorted time, the terrible time. I was consumed with fear. One day, I never did it again. And I didn't know why. All I, I didn't know this truth, that it's something that feeds and fuels unbelief. So big, four or five horses go on with that one, at least in my heart. That's something that really is difficult for, I, don't, I just don't do it. I refuse to look at the internet. I refuse to research stuff. If I need to know the answer to anything, I'll ask Kent to find it out for me, my husband, or I'll, I will just ask my doctor and I just want the most minimal explanation. I don't need to know all the details because that, that builds unbelief in me. And I don't want to feed that. I don't want horses on that end of my wagon. Another example of, of feeding unbelief is experiences and your own experiences and other people's experiences. What ex if you put, if you allow experience to determine your belief or your lack of belief, you're, you're not ever going to have faith to believe. Because there's people out there with all sorts of bad experiences. There are good people out there. There are powerful, believing believers. There are pastors out there who have had really bad experiences. And if you look at them and say, well, hmm, if you look at God's word through the filter of that experience, God's word's going to be clouded. It's not going to be clear because you're letting experience speak to you instead of the word. Our theology should not be based on experience. Our theology is God's word. Our theology is Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. You got to get experience out of the way. And the way that I do that is I simply say, I give up my right to understand. I don't need to understand. I'm not, uh, this is what I understand. This is what I choose to put my focus on. I refuse to let experience get in the way. Because when you do, you're putting more horses on that other end of the, on other end of the wagon. So the key, here is a key. This is a key point. In learning how to develop that faith to believe without having unbelief in the way isn't to learn to increase your faith. The key is learning how to decrease the amount of unbelief in your life.
decreasing the unbelief, not feeding on it. I'm going to share with you now three kinds of unbelief and how to counter them. The first one is ignorance. Ignorance is simply not knowing the truth. Hosea 4.6 says people perish from lack of knowledge. I was in that category when I was diagnosed with cancer. I did not know that Jesus paid the price for healing. I was ignorant. The antidote for that is truth. Jenny told me, Jesus, she, she told me really good news. She said, Cindy, Jesus paid the price for your healing at the same time that he paid the price for your forgiveness and for your eternal life. That was really good news. Now, I had a choice whether to believe it and receive it. And I didn't believe it instantly. But believe me, that truth, I wasn't going to let it, I wasn't going to discard it without um, allowing God to show me one way or the other. That was too good a news to just discard. And I took that truth. And I did receive that truth. And I did grow to believe that truth. So the thing that was ignorance, which is one form of unbelief, was countered. My pastor told me at that time that when I came to, to this new truth, I was like a blank sheet of paper. Because I had never been taught. I was a religious person, but I'd never read that Bible, ever. So I was like a blank sheet of paper. I didn't really know. I just believed what people told me. And because I had such a blank sheet, it was easy for God to write his truth on my heart. And so that was the first kind of unbelief that was countered in my life. The second kind of unbelief is called wrong doctrine. Wrong doctrine. And that comes from being taught something that's not completely true. Now, it might be partially true, but it's not completely true. Now, the problem with this is that before you can receive the truth, the untruth or the partial truth has to be demolished and replaced. It's probably... Kent could tell you the answer to this better than me. But I would think it's probably easier to build a new construction. Like, let's say, a brand new kitchen. Just You've got an empty kitchen and you're putting everything in there for the first time. Than to remodel a kitchen. Because to remodel, you have to demolish it first before you can rebuild it. And that's what happens with wrong doctrine. You need to demolish the stuff that's wrong and replace it with truth. Now, in my life, when I was going through this season, something that happened with me was that I was a very religious person. I had never had a relationship. So even though I had good news being told to me, it took time because I had to, I had to make a choice to say no to a lot of the things that I had been brought up in for 43 years. And allow the truth of this amazing good daddy, this amazing Jesus who had paid the price for me to, to be in my life. Because I had been taught that there was only one way to heaven. And the way that I was taking, the path I was taking after I was diagnosed with, with cancer wasn't the way. So I had to demolish that lie because that wasn't the way. That was religion. That wasn't the way. And I had to choose 
relationship. And when I did, and when I started developing this relationship, everything changed. It was no longer just something to check off of my list on Sunday. It was, uh, I was captivated. I was captured. And that old stuff, that those lies that I had been taught, that I had believed, that was taught by man, not by God, was demolished. And I had this amazing new relationship with Jesus. So that old doctrine was replaced. It was unbelief that was replaced with belief. The third kind of unbelief is the one we're really going to settle and talk about. And it's called natural unbelief. This is the one that I think is really hard to deal with for me and probably for all of mankind. Natural unbelief comes from natural information that we live in that surrounds us that's contrary to God's word. It's the stuff that we see with our eyes, that we feel with our bodies, that we hear, that we experience, but it's really real. Now, here's the the truth. I'm using these words too much probably. I might be confusing you. The truth is that God's promise is more real than what you see, feel, hear, or experience. But natural unbelief comes when what we're living in the middle of is really big. And, and God says, no, don't put your focus there. Put your focus on me. Put your focus on the word and the promise and, the, and what God says. Don't look at all that stuff. Because what we're doing is we're depending on our senses. And faith has nothing to do with senses. Faith has everything to do with believing the promise of God. So in that same scripture, in that Matthew 17 scripture, in that Matthew 17, we're all, we're all cheering you on, girl. <laughs> in that Matthew 17 scripture, when Jesus um, was, was t- healed the little boy with epilepsy and the disciples didn't, think about the experience. Think about what was going on. That little boy was having a seizure, a grand mal seizure right there. And it was in their face. It was big. It, and they had to look beyond the seizure and believe. And that natural unbelief of seeing so much in front of them made it more difficult for them to stand in belief without unbelief. That natural unbelief, everything they were seeing, countered, negated their belief because they did believe. They did believe in healing. We already talked about all that. Now think about yourself. I think about this a lot because I minister to a lot of people who are really sick. So when I go and I minister to somebody who's in a ton of pain or who's whatever, it's very, very serious. And when I'm there ministering to them, I, with all my heart, do my best to keep my eyes on Jesus and his promise and not to look at what's in front of my eyes. I usually close my eyes because I want my focus to be on Jesus and his finished work and not on the sickness or the pain or whatever it is that's in front of my eyes. Because I want to have a pure faith. I do believe. I believe with all my heart. But when there's somebody that's so very, very sick or so very, very much pain, that natural unbelief is there. So we need to counter it by keeping our eyes 
on the healer, keeping our eyes on Jesus, feeding our faith and not our unbelief. Now, this is what Jesus said in that same scripture. He said, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. Now, that's another whole teaching, which I'm not going to teach right now, but I am going to share this much. Fasting, when we fast, in, in, when we fast food, not fast food like McDonald's, but when we choose not to eat, when we are fasting, we are telling our body to come into subjection. We're saying, uh-uh, you're not boss. Holy Spirit is boss. And my soul, which is my, my chooser, my mind, my will, my emotions, my will is part of my soul. My will says, uh-uh, body. You're in subjection. My will says, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm soaking right here with God. That's where my focus is. And your flesh comes under subjection. Now, I'm not teaching on fasting right now, but this much, this what I do want to share. We're talking about belief and unbelief. Fast unbelief. Starve unbelief. Don't feed yourself with unbelief. Refuse to feed your soul with the stuff that causes unbelief. And we can do that. We can do that. And then do the opposite. You're fasting unbelief. You're starving unbelief. Feed your faith. Feed, 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 feed your faith. And what you're doing is you got this, this wagon with the issue. Let's put cancer on that wagon. That wagon, heavy, heavy load. But when you feed, feed, feed your faith, and we're going to talk about what that looks like, that, that team of horses gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And when you starve unbelief and you don't feed on doctor's reports, you just choose not to put your attention there. You're not feeding on um, research because you're just saying, I'm not doing it. You're not feeding on other people's opinions. You're saying, no, thank you. I don't want to hear it. And when I heard it, I was getting really good at letting it go in this ear and out the other and not letting it stick in here. I just, I just discarded it. I would almost do the thing where, without being too rude, where you go, na, 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 na. And it was like, uh, they would talk, but I wasn't even taking it in. It would go in this ear and out the other. So choose not to feed the unbelief. Starve it. And feed faith instead. So, unbelief has to be fed in order for it to thrive. So just stop feeding it. I'm going to read you a scripture now. This is a great example. This is Abraham, our father in faith. Look at how he chose to starve unbelief. I'm going to start with chapter 4, verse 18. Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. So it's talking about believing. So that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't consider it. He was 100 years old. He was impotent, or 99. He was impotent. He'd been impotent for years. His wife had, had always been barren, and now she'd gone through menopause. She was, I don't know, 
really old too. He did not consider. He wasn't feeding unbelief. He was starving it. He chose not to consider it. But look what he did consider. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. So his focus was on exalting God, praising God, worshiping God, keeping his eyes on the promise and saying, God, I know that's your promise and you're good for your word. I know that's your promise. And I love the way it's worded. Um, He was fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. That's a good one to write down and make it your own declaration. God, I believe with all my heart that what you promised, you're fully able to perform in my life. So he was feeding faith and he was starving unbelief. So this is something you've been hearing a lot in here lately. I think it's our theme for, for the season or something. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Miracles happen when you fix your eyes on Jesus. We really need to be promise-driven, word-driven, Jesus-driven, and not problem-conscious. In this world, we're too darn problem-conscious. People talk about their problems all the time. We have a choice. We don't have to talk about our problems all the time. We can talk about our great big God. And when we do, we're exalting him. He is, when we say, when we use the word magnify or exalt God, what we're doing is we're magna, he's already big. But when we magnify him, we are acknowledging his bigness. And when we do, the problem is minimized. When we exalt God, we are acknowledging he is high above, high above every issue of life. And when we exalt him, the problem gets littler and littler because you're not focused on it. It just shrinks. No matter how big it is, it's not bigger than God. No matter how big it is, it's not too big for God. This is Pastor Tim's uh, word, but I'm going to give it. We need to aggressively receive what Jesus has already done. We don't have to get him to do it. He already did it. We need to aggressively receive it. Oh, here's a good statement. I believe I put it on your paper. We can say this. I am healed. Whether I see it, whether I feel it, doesn't matter. I am healed. We can say that because according to the word of God, by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. It's already done. So, what I would like to do now is show you some practical ways to feed your faith. Starving unbelief, you're just not going to feed it. But how do you feed your faith then? How do you get that team of horses strong and powerful to just draw in from the spiritual realm the, the gift of grace that's already been paid for? Well, first of all, we need to feed on truth constantly constantly. And there's a lot of ways to do that. When I was saved, Jenny said, Cindy, spend time with God every day. Read the Bible and pray. Every day. I'd never read the Bible every day. I'd never prayed every day. 
Until then, and that's when everything changed. Hope rose up in me. Peace came. Strength came. I was built up. Feed constantly. Put it in, it, it needs to be a priority, and I'm just going to say that. You know, we, we give excuses to say, well, I'm so busy. You know, I can, I can whatever while I'm in the car. I'm saying, give yourself one-on-one time with God, somehow, some way. Feed your faith constantly. Feed on truth. You'll, you'll, oh, you wouldn't go without eating. I wouldn't. I won't go without feeding on God's word. Feed yourself with this kind of environment. You guys are here. You're feeding. You're feeding. Do it. We have all kinds of opportunities. Monday night, we have a healing meeting in Troy every week. Tuesday night, we have a healing meeting here every week. We have, um, uh, Kent and I have published a Bible study about healing. It's called God Says Yes, We Say Amen, He Heals Today. It is, I, my heart was to publish it so that it could go out and feed people. I want the word to go out as far and wide as I can, as we can. So there's, there's a resource for you. Jenny bought that, that resource a long time ago, probably a year, well, maybe not a year ago, six to eight months ago, because she wanted it for herself. She's in the middle of a battle too. So she bought that resource to take home. She's now doing it in a small group. That was our heart. We put together a package that you can do in a small group. And there's something about a small group where you're talking to people. You're sharing what God's word is. There's something that builds you up in the process of being in a group of people who believe. They pray for you. They believe with you. They build you up. It's really a great environment. So you got Monday nights. You got Tuesday nights. You can do a small group in your home. You can do it on your own. You don't have to have a small group in your home. I know it takes a lot of time and all that. We also have on our, and I'm not trying to sell our website, but I'm giving you resources. We have a website. It's the, the web address is jesuschristhealstoday.com. Jesus Christ. You can also do jchealstoday.com. It's less letters to type in, and that will get you there too. It has all kinds of teaching, all kinds of testimonies, manna for you to feed your faith, feed your faith, feed your faith. My favorite author, and really the only one I share because this is my favorite, my favorite author is Andrew Womack. He teaches such balance, such truth about faith and grace. They're both amazing. But he's very balanced. He has all kinds of free podcasts. He has all kinds of books. He has all kinds of DVDs and TV shows and all sorts of things at your fingertips. Andrew Womack. So there are resources available, but it's up to us to feed our faith. We sure take a lot of time to do research. We sure take a lot of time with doctor's appointments. Put some other things on the back burner and feed your faith. Another practical way to feed your faith is, I I shared this two weeks ago, God's word carries, is like little containers. Every word is like a little container of faith. So when you eat it, when you consume it, when you declare it, it's like, it's like these little packages of faith. God is faithful. His word is his word. 
So when you declare his word, when you read his word, when you meditate on his word, faith is strengthened. It's just the byproduct. His word is alive and powerful. So feed on his word. The next one, and I already said it, but I'm going to say it again. Keep your eyes on Jesus and on his finished work. Keep your eyes off of the problem. Be Jesus-focused, not problem-focused. And then the fourth one, exalt God and his word. Exalt him. Praise him. Worship him for who he is. Praise him and worship him for what he's done. Worship him for the, for the, the, the precious gifts that he's done in your life. Give you the attitude of gratitude. Raise your voice in thanksgiving. Lift him up. Look, if you don't have your own testimonies, go in the Bible. There's a whole lot of accounts of Jesus' amazing healing power and, and grace. Go on and, and like Pastor Tim does, he watches testimonies all the time for hours at a time. He goes online and he, he looks at 700 Club testimonial videos and other amazing healing evangelists, their testimonies. It feeds your faith and you're exalting God. You're praising God for who he is and what he does.